Um, for those who, who were with us over the summer, I wonder if you can remember, uh, we looked at Psalm 77, and I used an illustration um, that I know blew Harry McFerrin's mind, um, where we thought about perspective. And so I asked you all to put your index finger in the air and make a circle, a clockwise circle. Can, can we do it again? So make a clockwise circle in the air, kind of horizontally, lovely. I'll not judge whether you're doing clockwise or not. That's fine. Then continue going. If, as you're looking at it, you should see a clockwise circle happening. As you lower your hand down, keep your finger turning in the same direction. But as you now look at the circle being drawn by your fingertip, so look at the circle being drawn by your fingertip, it's now going the opposite direction. It's now an anti-clockwise circle. <gasps> Have you got it yet, Harry? No. Still, still. <laughs> so when you draw it in the air, it looks like clockwise. When you bring it down, moving your finger in the same direction, all of a sudden, it's a different, you see a different thing. And the, the, the lesson and the illustration that that shows is, about the importance of perspective and how circumstances might not change, right? The finger still turns in the same direction, but the way we see it might be different uh, depending on how we choose to view it or how we're able to view it. And today, we're going to continue through Philippians 1, as Tim has said, and, and Paul gives us a bit of an insight into his circumstances, the circumstances that he's in, if you like. But I think we see him viewing them in a very different way than I think most of us would if we find ourselves in those circumstances. Uh, if you like, I would see these as a, as a clockwise circle. Paul is choosing to see these through the eyes of faith with an anti-clockwise circle. He's seeing things very differently because of his perspective. Uh, and part of what we're going to see in these verses actually gets to the root of, of the heart of our, um, actually gets to the heart, sorry, of our title for this series, how we can nurture deep roots of a joyful faith. That is one of the many things God can show us through the book of Philippians, how we can nurture deep roots of a joyful faith. And I think we're going to see that really clearly through these verses today. You see, for some of us who, who, who are following Jesus and maybe have been following Jesus for a long time, uh, we, we know that it is possible to have, to have seasons. And, and sometimes those seasons feel long, sometimes they feel short, but seasons where our faith, where, where our relationship with Jesus seems more joyful than others. That's how we perceive it to be anyway. Uh, we, we sense, we experience more joy in our relationship with Jesus than at other times. Other times it feels like that, can, that relationship is, is more strained or it's more difficult. We, we struggle to see the joy as we understand joy. And there can be many factors with, which influence that in each of our hearts as we come before the Lord. But one of the common issues that I think can impact the joy of our faith is the circumstances we find ourselves in. Uh, there are times when life is just more complex, more demanding, more strenuous than others. Uh, and for some of us, that impacts our experience of joy in our faith. Now, however, what we see through Paul's letter to the Philippians is that regardless of our circumstances, regardless of our emotional state, regardless of our external influences that we're facing, when the roots of our faith go deep into Jesus, then our faith can always be joyful, even when our circumstances are anything but. And so this, these deep roots that go into Jesus deeply, they help us to see everything through, through the lens of the gospel. This, this gospel-shaped, gospel focus that we can have to bring to every circumstance that we bring uh, that is brought before us. Therefore, that brings lasting joy, lasting contentment, as we'll see from Philippians chapter 4. 
And it's that perspective, I think, that ability that, that Paul starts to demonstrate here we see in these words. Now, it's not that Paul was a special guy. It's not that Paul could see things in a way that other people can't see them. No, it was the depth of his faith that enabled him to see that joyful experience, whatever his circumstances might have been. And now, we, we, may, we may know that to be true if we follow Jesus for a while. We know that when we put our roots deep into Jesus, we can know joy in him. And therefore, by our circumstances, our joy won't be affected. We know that to be true. Some of us, though, don't always live that reality because our circumstances do buffet us. They do knock us off course. And so what I would love for us to see this morning through God's word is that he is longing for our roots to go deep into him so that we can know the lasting and eternal joy that he has called us to as his children, whatever our circumstances might be. Uh, And so we're going to read chapter 1. We're going to read verse 12 through to the first half of verse 18 of this letter of Philippians chapter 1. And as we do, uh, as we're reading through that, can I invite you to to consciously look out for the insight that we get into Paul's circumstances? But can I also invite you to then try to look out for where Paul resolutely puts his focus in the midst of those circumstances? So look out for those circumstances and look out for where Paul is focused in the midst of these circumstances because I think that is where we see the answer to his joy. Okay, Philippians chapter 1, let's start reading at verse 12. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ and because of my chains, most of the believers, most of the brothers and sisters, sorry, have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Father, we pray that as we take time in your word now, would you speak to us mightily? Would you show us the wonder of your gospel? Would you show us, therefore, how deep our roots can go into you and how joyful our faith can be in you, whatever our circumstances may be? Help us, Father, we pray. In your name we ask. Amen. And we're going to pick up the rest of of Paul's train of thought through the rest of uh, verse 18 next week. But I wonder if you were able to learn anything there about Paul's circumstances and about his focus. What can we tell? Can anyone shout out? what, what, What kind of circumstances is Paul, the writer here, finding himself in? He's in prison. Yeah, brilliant. He's in prison. He's, in ch- he's writing in chains. We see that a number of occasions, certainly in verse 14. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters. So Paul is in prison. Now, where is he in prison? What circumstances is he in? Well, we can tell by the way that we are referenced here to the palace guards in verse 13. And then later on in verse, in verse uh, 22 of chapter 4, he talks about especially those who belong to Caesar's house who are giving greetings to the Philippian church. So we know that Paul is writing from prison in Rome. That's what we can tell from these verses so far. And that's helpful because back at the end of the book of Acts, we know that, we are, that when Paul gets to Rome, we can tell a little bit more about the type of prison he was experiencing. In Acts 28 verse 16, we read, when Paul got to Rome, sorry, when we got to Rome, 
Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier to guard him. So this is what we would call house arrest. Paul is, is able to live relatively freely in the, way, in the sense that he is in a house. He's not in a Roman prison. But he is still very much imprisoned in that house. And it's, it's widely understood that house arrest would have meant that he was physically chained to a soldier at all times. And so we might think, oh, great, Paul was able to live in, a, in his house and there was a guard at the door, possibly. It's more likely that he was actually physically chained. That's what the chains are speaking of here when Paul is talking about these chains in, in Philippians 1. Either physical chained to a physical uh, spot so that he couldn't move or chained to um, a soldier to guard him. And so he is definitely in prison here. Slightly more comfortably, maybe, than a Roman prison, but still very much limited freedom and restriction to what he is. And this continuous watch of soldiers rotating through the house where he was. And so all that to say that that Paul is writing, as we said uh, in our introduction to Philippians, this joy-filled book. Joy is, is one of the key themes of Philippians, and he's writing this letter full of joy while chained to Roman soldiers. He is under house arrest. And so those don't seem like, from our perspective, joy-inducing circumstances, do they? Yet, verse 18 contains the term rejoice twice. The very end of verse 18. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, I will pick this up next week. Yes, I will continue to rejoice. Paul, how are you able to rejoice while in chains in Rome under house arrest? How are you able to do that? Well, that's one of the questions that we'll think of this morning. Secondly, then, I wonder, as we read through those verses, did did you pick up his determined focus? So his circumstances are in prison, but where is he focused? What is his heart's desire? What is he excited about? What brings him, what is the source of this joy? And I think in verse 18, we see this, don't we? The important thing is that in every way, Christ is preached. And we see reference to to the priority and the focus of Paul on the gospel in and around seven times in these verses. So in verse 12, we see that it is, um, his imprisonment has served to advance the gospel. In verse 13, uh, it has become clear that he is in chains for Christ. In verse 14, the brothers and sisters proclaim the gospel. In verse 15, some preach Christ out of uh, envy and rivalry. In verse 16, uh, that Paul is there for the defense of the gospel. In verse 17, the former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, but some turn out of love. In verse 18, what, what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, Christ is preached. Paul's focus, whatever his circumstances, is on the gospel. It is on the gospel, the spread of the gospel to a world that is desperately in need of it. He knows that in Rome. He's praying that for the church in Philippi too. Uh, and so here we have these two key things through these verses. Paul's joy despite his circumstances, the reality that he's able to rejoice in chains. And yet his laser focus on the gospel and the spread of the gospel. And of course, as we see these two things held up before us, they are interwoven, aren't they? It is, it is the gospel that's, that, that breeds Paul's joy. Whatever his circumstances, he knows that if the gospel is going forward, if he has opportunity to share the gospel, then that is, is a joy to him because his joy is deeply rooted in Christ himself. And so for, for the rest of our time this morning, I, I just want to examine Paul's example here to us because I believe God has much to show us about we, how we, as his followers, as Paul, can live a life like this, where we can live this gospel-focused life 
which breeds a joyous faith in every circumstance. God's word is showing us here how having a gospel focus breeds a joyful faith in every circumstance of life. And that theme is embedded throughout the letter. We'll see it clearly in these verses as we have done already. But as we see it through Paul's example while he's in chains and also while he's relating to those who are preaching Christ in Rome. Some with good motives, some with not. Uh, and before we think about his, his time in chains, which you see from verse 12 through to verse 14, let me, let me speak briefly about that second point, how Paul is able to rejoice because Christ is being preached, whatever the motivation of those preaching him. And, and this is striking because it really clearly shows Paul's gospel focus, um, that, that he can, he can uh, celebrate Christ being preached, whatever that might mean for his reputation in, in, as he's in prison. So let's read again verse 15 uh, through to 17. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. So Paul finds himself imprisoned. And even in prison, he's aware of other people still proclaiming the gospel throughout Rome. And it brings him joy. And some of those people proclaiming Christ are doing so out of love for Paul. It's a demonstration of their love for Paul. They know Paul well enough to know that Paul loves the gospel enough to know that whatever circumstances he is in, Christ should be preached. And so they are out proclaiming Christ. And in doing so, that is a demonstration in part of their love and their concern for Paul. Yet there are others whose motives are not so pure at all. Those who are wanting to, as Paul says here, stir up trouble for me while he's imprisoned. And so although we're not told the exact detail of what that means, perhaps it could be as Christianity has been spread throughout Rome and indeed throughout the empire, as the empire would want to curtail the move of Christ, then could it be that they want to punish Paul even more to make an example out of him so that other believers sort of cower in fear? And so there are some who somehow, for some reason, out of envy and rivalry, maybe they want to make a name for themselves as the great proclaimers of the gospel. I don't really understand their motives. How can someone preach Christ with a negative uh, motivation behind it to wish will on another brother in the Lord. I, I, I don't get it personally, but that's what's happening here. Paul's aware of it. And what's his response? He's delighted because Christ is being preached. And let's not forget that those supposing or wanting to stir up trouble might actually be doing so. Paul's circumstances may get worse in time if these guys keep on proclaiming Christ to stir up trouble for him, but still he rejoices because what does it matter? The important thing is that in all, Christ is preached. And what's interesting here is Paul doesn't rebuke them for what they're teaching. So, so these people who are out preaching Christ out of impure motives, wishing ill on Paul, they're still preaching the true gospel. But still they're doing so out of twisted motives, could we say? Certainly not impure, or certainly not pure ones. But regardless... Paul is still delighted. He rejoices because Christ is being preached. And I think this is exactly what I'm meaning by Paul having a gospel focus, 
which breeds a joyful faith in every circumstance. Even if that means cost for him, a worsening of his circumstances. If Christ is being preached, then good, I rejoice. So I think there's something that the Lord would say to us there about our, about our heart and how sharp our gospel focus is. That in every circumstance, we delight that Christ is being preached. But, but let's move back to the first half of this passage where we see Paul in chains and he speaks a lot about his imprisonment here and the impact that his imprisonment is having on those who are, who are his captors, but also those brothers and sisters in the city of Rome. And so let's read verse 12. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me, so that is his imprisonment, what has happened to me actually served to advance the gospel. So Paul explains that that rather than we might assume that Paul being imprisoned is going to harm the spread of the gospel, no, it has happened. It it has actually helped to advance the gospel. But how has that happened? Well, Paul goes on to explain in verse 13. As a result, verse 13, so as a result of Paul being imprisoned, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. That's interesting, isn't it? How, how could it have become clear to the whole palace guard and everyone else that Paul was in chains for Christ? Well, clearly Paul and everyone else has said so. Paul has made it abundantly clear that it is for Christ that he is in chains. And it has become clear to the whole palace guard. Maybe that's Paul just exaggerating. I, I genuinely don't think so. This is God's word, remember. The whole palace guard know that Paul is in prison for Christ. Well, how was that the case? Well, remember, Paul is imprisoned in house arrest, yes. He is chained to a guard 24-7. So that guard wouldn't have, would have heard all that Paul had to say, would have been there for any visitors that Paul might have been able to welcome, and he certainly would have had his ear bent about the gospel of Jesus Christ. As one writer almost humorously has, has noted, These soldiers who were chained to to Paul have become captive audience to Paul. He is chained to them, but they are also chained to him. Paul could not escape from them, but they could not escape from his witness for Christ. He had a new congregation with every new shift. It, It speaks to the attitude, doesn't it, that we see in Paul here? So the result of Paul's gospel focus in every situation, that he was able to use the very unlikely opportunity of being chained to high-level Roman soldiers to share the message of the Savior he loved. I wonder if Paul got excited with each new soldier coming in. I wonder if he got excited when returning soldiers came back on to watch their shift came around again. Maybe they came with further questions. Maybe they came dreading on, no, not Paul again. Maybe they came like the Philippian jailer who Paul and Silas met in Acts 16 and simply asked, what must I do to be saved? We're not told the detail, but you can imagine. And we can see, we don't need to imagine, we can see that if the whole palace guard has heard that Paul is in chains for Christ, then he is using that very unlikely circumstance to share the gospel. And that's the point, that Paul's gospel focus has bred a joyful faith in every circumstance. And that joyful faith of Paul was expressive it was infectious to those he interacted with. So, so Paul's love for Jesus and his desire to share him with others enabled him to see way above the chains 
that he was physically bound by, way above the restrictions, but rather it emboldened him. His gospel focus emboldened him to use what he had where he was in order that Christ may become known. And that's a challenge for us all, isn't it? To use what we have where we are to make Christ known. So the, the challenge there is if you're following Jesus, how sharp is your gospel focus? How prominent is the gospel in everything that we do and say? I know for me, it, it's, it's more often than not my circumstances which dictate my gospel focus. Distort, my circumstances distort that focus. They diminish that focus. They, they seek to extinguish the flame that used to burn so brightly. But the challenge and encouragement here that God is showing us through Paul's example is that God's gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, is good news all the time. Regardless of circumstances, that God's gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, is the source of true and lasting and eternal joy. And so our task is not to, our, our task is to sharpen our focus on the gospel in every and any circumstance. The gospel doesn't change. The goodness of the gospel doesn't change. The need to share the gospel doesn't change despite our ever-changing circumstance. And so if we sharpen our focus on the gospel and on the, the person of the gospel on Jesus Christ, then we let our joy in him overflow whatever our circumstances might be. Now, please let me say, Paul here He's, he explains how his chains are actually a, a mode for him to share the gospel. But what he doesn't do is diminish his chains or dismiss them as irrelevant or unimportant or, dif or not difficult. He, he doesn't say that, that this, these chains don't matter and isn't it great that I get to share the gospel. He says, I'm in chains and even here I'm going to share the gospel. See, some of us are going through stuff in our own lives or in the lives of our family and friends, which, which are, are life-altering circumstances. They are foundation-shaking circumstances. And God's message here is not one of, all right, we'll just lift your eyes from that, gloss over it, pretend they don't exist, and keep focused on the gospel. No. The point that God is showing here is that even in those worst of times, keep focused on the gospel. Even in those most trying of times, whatever it is you are going through weighing so heavily on you, the weight of those things is not enough to extinguish the joy of the gospel. The weight of those circumstances is not enough to extinguish the joy of the gospel. And so rather than dampening our joy in the Lord, then those circumstances could be the very place where he is calling you to be sure of his joy to take comfort in his joy, to know that his joy is eternal. As one writer put it, wherever you find yourself, you can see your adverse situation as an opportunity to give testimony for Christ where one would not otherwise exist. Now I realize that that term, adverse, <laughs> adverse situation, might seem very trite to what you're going through. But the truth of the statement stands. That whatever you're going through could be an opportunity to give testimony for Christ where one would not otherwise exist. You are not where you are by accident. 
you are where you are by divine appointment for the purposes of sharing the gospel. Those are powerful words, aren't they? And having, a, having faith in the sovereign and eternal, loving Heavenly Father means that we can know those words to be right. That we might find ourselves in situations that we would never choose for ourselves or for those that we love, yet we are there because God has placed us there and God is with us there. And so we might not be able to see the purpose of what we're going through, but part of the purpose is to share the joy of the gospel in those situations. So God has brought us to those places sometimes because he wants his children to bring that gospel-focused, joyful faith to express joy in the midst of sorrow. Not happiness, not giddiness, that's not what I'm talking about. This is gospel joy that can say in any and every circumstance, Christ is my Lord and my Savior, my eternal hope. He's the strength that I hold and it is only in him and my life is all about him. And whatever he is up to in these circumstances, that is his plan and his plan is good. And so I choose to trust him even when nothing in my circumstance would suggest that I should but I know him to be good. And so we can see that Paul's gospel focus breeds a joyful faith in every circumstance, and that's clear while he's in prison. And so Paul uses his experience for the gospel, chained to those soldiers uh, and, and expresses Christ while he's doing so. And I wonder, can we turn our attention more sharply to Jesus and do exactly the same? Finally, then, what I would love us to see is, is the impact that Paul's experience had on the believers in Rome. Look with me again at verse 14. And because of my chains, see, not, not in spite of my chains, not regard, but because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. And so th- this might not be the reaction we'd expect. You hear that Paul is in prison. You might expect a rise in fear. You might expect a, a desire to keep under the radar. But no, no, no. As, as the stakes for following Jesus are raised, so the boldness of the believers in Rome are raised too. And it's just like we see in Acts chapter 4. Peter and John get hauled in front of the, the Jewish ruling council, the Sanhedrin. They're told not to preach Jesus anymore. And they say in verse 20, um, As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we've heard. And so they will, they will continue. They tell the Sanhedrin, we're going to continue to share Jesus. The Sanhedrin send them out and tell them to stop it anyway. They're going to ignore that ruling. But Peter and John then head back to, to the believers and they, who rise together in prayer. And we might wonder, well, what are they going to pray for now? Are they going to pray for protection from further abuse? Are they going to pray for an ease to the circumstance? Well, let's read what they pray in verse 29 and 31 of chapter 4 of Acts. Now, Lord... Consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. That's their prayer. They pray for greater boldness in the midst of opposition. And the result of that in verse 31, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. So they prayed for boldness and then they did boldness. And and so we, we might assume that, that as Paul is in prison, the people's fear may grow. But no, their fear is dissipating. Their confidence is growing. 
And those are interesting terms, aren't they? Confidence and fear. Because I don't think it's possible to have both in equal measure. You either have greater confidence and less fear, or greater fear and less confidence. But when it comes to the believers in Rome, how is their confidence growing? Well, their confidence is growing because of who their confidence is in. Did you notice that in verse 14? They're more confident in the Lord. These believers aren't confident in in their own ability to share the gospel. They're not even confident in Paul. No, they're confident in the Lord. And so they, they know that the gospel is good. They know that God is loving. They know and understand who God is and what he's done for them and the message that he has commanded them to preach to the nations. And so they're compelled to go and they do just that. And so their confidence in the Lord is growing. Their fear is diminishing. But I wonder, I wonder what that fear could have been. They were able to declare and proclaim the gospel without fear. Well, fear of what? Fear of being treated like Paul, maybe? Fear of public disgrace, public ridicule? Fear of causing offense? Fear of being the target of abuse? Fear of losing position in society and, or reputation? We're not told exactly what that fear is, but for those of us who know Jesus, we know the fear that often suffocates our confidence in sharing the gospel. Some of those have been listed, and they are real fears. They're not, they're not kind of abstract fears. They are very possible fears. It is possible to share the gospel and be maligned. It is possible to share the gospel and cause offense to those that we know and love. It's possible to share the gospel and, and lose credit, lose reputation. It is, those things are possible. Those are real fears. But the point is not to ignore and suppress those fears. The point is to put our confidence somewhere else, somewhere greater. Our confidence in the Lord. See, the, the antidote to fear in sharing our faith is to allow our confidence in God to grow. One writer expressed it like this, that Paul was so gospel intoxicated, so centered on getting the good news of Christ out to the lost in Rome that his feelings and aspirations were subsumed and subject to the gospel. See the link? Paul held such a high view of the gospel that his fears diminished. He understood what the Lord was calling him to, and so whatever fears arose in him could be subsided and and became submissive to the desire to share the gospel because the gospel is such good news. And that's what we see here. That's how Paul is describing the Roman believers. That's his prayer for the Philippian believers. That these believers in Rome, they've grown in their knowledge and their understanding, their depth of insight. Remember the prayer from last week? They have grown in all of that. They've been able to discern what is good. They are filled with the fruit of righteousness. It's pouring out so that they dare all the more to proclare the gospel without fear. And oh, may God embed that in our hearts. That our awareness of the gospel, that knowing our need for salvation, our need for a daily reminder of the gospel of God's work in our lives, that, that, that he has saved us from sin. He has saved us to life in him and life eternal. May, that, may we grasp the importance of that so much more that we are compelled to share it. Just like Peter and John in Acts, Acts 4. How can we share anything but the good news of Jesus? And as we share, um, uh, if you remember, we looked at First Peter last year. And as we share, we're, we're told these words from First Peter three thirteen and 16. Or 13, 2, 16, sorry. Who's going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. 
the reality is we may receive threats. We may feel fear, but don't be those things. What should we do instead? But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Put your confidence in God. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed for their slander. You see, don't be afraid, but revere Christ as Lord. And therefore, be prepared to give an answer for the reason for the hope that you have, doing so with gentleness and respect. And gentleness and respect don't stand at odds to boldness. Boldness doesn't have to be abrasive. We do so with gentleness and respect and boldness. Those are all, it all means the same thing. It's not sometimes you can be bold and therefore smack people in the face. Or you can be gentle and and showing respect and, and not be clear on the gospel. No, no, no. We can be bold and be gentle and respectful. Jesus indeed himself came full of grace and truth. Grace and truth, full of both Not sometimes graceful and sometimes truthful. No, full of grace and truth. And we should go and do the same. And so let's pray for this gospel focus to lead to a boldness in our lives for sharing Jesus. Because we see in Paul's example here from God's good word that having a gospel focus breeds a joyful faith in every circumstance. And not only did Paul know that in his own life and in his own experience, more of which we'll see through Philippians, but we we see his example also encouraged the brothers and sisters in Rome. And all of that meant that the gospel did go out to a great city, even to the extent that, remember I mentioned earlier, by the end of chapter 4, when Paul is sending greetings from the believers in Rome, he includes all those in Caesar's household. You see, because Paul had that gospel focus, which bred a joyful faith in every circumstance, he shared the gospel to the palace guards and everyone else there. And so those in Caesar's house, some in Caesar's house came to believe. And therefore they were able to send greetings to encourage the church in Philippi. This wonderful example of deep roots of a joyful faith. And I pray that we can once again be captivated by the gospel. The beauty of the gospel, the wonder of the gospel, the need for the gospel. And of course, we're going to celebrate that as we gather around communion. We're going to gaze at Jesus Christ, the the sinless one who died in our place so that the penalty of our sin, my sin and yours, is fully paid for. Meaning that we can know forgiveness from that sin. We can know life in God for all eternity, welcomed by the loving embrace of the almighty creator. That is the good news of Jesus Christ. And if you follow him today, but but feel like your joy has grown cold, then look to him again. Sharpen your focus on the good news of Jesus Christ. See his arms outstretched for you in love, welcoming you home. And keep looking at him. Because as you do, your joy will grow in him. Your boldness for him will grow. And whatever circumstances you find yourselves in, you will be sure that he is with you in it and he is using you through it. And so may we all joyfully, patiently, and confidently trust in him again.
allowing this gospel focus which breeds a joyful faith in every circumstance to grow and be nurtured by his work in our hearts. Oh Lord, would you come and make it so. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for those of us who know and love you. We thank you for your salvation. We thank you that you have indeed rescued us from an eternity in hell, rescued us to an eternity in glory with you because you have paid the penalty for sin. Thank you. And Lord, because of your work and only your work, we can know that forgiveness and grace. And therefore, we can know the life that you've called us into. We can know this gospel focus. We can know this joyful faith. And yet, Lord, we recognize that there are times when, when we allow circumstances in life to dictate our joy or diminish our joy. Lord, thank you that you're with us in those times. But Father, we, we, we confess those times where we have let our, our gaze be distracted from you. Would you help us? Help us to once again gaze at your beauty, gaze at the wonder of who you are and your love for us. And as we do so, would our joy in you grow as our roots go deeper? And Lord, we pray that the outworking of all of that will be just as Paul experienced in Rome, as the believers in Philippi no doubt experienced, as their, their joy overflowed, then those who don't know you yet come to know you. What a joy that would be for us to see our friends, neighbors, family members, and loved ones come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. Oh, we pray for that today, God. Thank you that you have made the way of salvation open because of the sacrifice of Jesus. And so as we turn our attention to you now, as we think and ponder on your wonderful love expressed at the cross, would you help us? Remind us of your goodness and grace. Encourage us in our faithfulness to you, we pray. As we always do, we pray these things for your praise and glory. Amen.